So how do you know you're in love? I'm guessing most of you have been in love before. Even if you might think you're too young to realize it, I know that because I can remember falling in love with a boy in my third grade class at Dunn Elementary School. And I knew it was love because when it came time for us to have to send out Valentine's Day cards to every student in the class, I agonized over which Valentine to give to Chad, which one would send just the right message. It had to be special, had to be different from all the others. And I remember that I finally chose one with a turtle on the front, and it said, I'm turtly yours. <laughs> Subtle, right? <laughs> because, by the way, nothing says I love you like a tough outer shell. <laughs> so that's third grade. It was unreciprocated, by the way, which I, I think must have been okay because I don't remember being too heartbroken. And to be totally honest, I'm not even sure his name was Chad. <laughs> but I do remember the turtle. And there's actually a list that psychologists have developed to um, offer some insights about when you might be falling in love. For starters, you can't stop looking at the person, which is probably where that very technical term googly eyes comes from. You also have a tendency to start ditching all of your other activities. No more girls night out, no more going to the club, the gym. It's all about being together, more is better. You also know you're falling in love when you think everything that this person does is just adorable and noteworthy and you can't stop talking about them. And finally, this is kind of a cool one I like, you know you're falling in love when you genuinely want the other person's happiness. It's no longer just about yourself but about their happiness as well. Well, likewise, there's a list of characteristics, qualities, and behaviors that exemplify loving action. Not the kind of, you know, third grade infatuation that says, I totally love you. And not even really the kind of long-lasting love that many of us experience in relationships, but the kind of love that Jesus calls us to. The kind of love that God offers. In today's reading, we heard from the letter that Paul wrote to the Christian community in Rome, and he was encouraging them to love in some very specific ways. You see, Paul knew that the community there already knew about God's command to love. It's written all through the Gospels, the number of ways that people will know we are Christians. Jesus said, they will know you are my followers by the way that you love. But what Paul does here in Romans 12 is to give people context. Jesus said love. Paul says, here's how you do that. Hold fast to good. Offer mutual affection. Honor. Zealousness. Be ardent in spirit. Be a servant. Be hopeful. Be patient. Be persevering. Contribute to the needy. Extend hospitality. Don't curse people. Bless your enemies. Weep when people weep. Live in harmony. Don't be haughty. Do hang out with the lowly. Don't claim to be smarter than you are. 
If you can, live peaceably. Don't seek revenge. Do leave that to God. Do not be overcome by evil. Do overcome evil with good. Sounds easy, right? You'll be relieved to know that we're not going to go through each of those one by one today. Although I do think if you have children at home in particular, it would be a great exercise to pick one or two of those behaviors, especially now at the start of the school year, and talk about them. What does it mean to put some of those loving behaviors into action toward your classmates or toward your teacher? Or at the start of this election cycle that we're in, how do those behaviors relate to people who hold vastly different political views from us? So there's some good in discussing each one of them, but we're not going to go through each one today. I think if you look at that list, it's pretty self-explanatory. You get it, even though it can be daunting, I know. You might even see yourself in that list as someone who gets most of the things right most of the time. But for most of us, I know for me at least, I think what I need is a way to cultivate an awareness of those behaviors when they are not clearly at the forefront of how I show up on a particular day. Because there are times, I'm going to be honest, where my first response is not to bless my enemy or to persevere, especially my husband would point out in things that I don't like to do. So I think this conscientious evaluation of ourselves is what Paul meant when he wrote a little bit earlier in the book of Romans, do not be conformed by the world, but be renewed by the transforming of your mind. It's a gentle reminder to not get caught up in the crazy, to not think like the world thinks, but to think like God thinks. Now, Jesus was actually a little bit more direct in this. At one point in the Gospels, we know that Jesus began telling his disciples that the time was coming near when he would be handed over to death. And the disciples were dumbfounded. Peter, in particular, would not hear of it. He said to Jesus, absolutely not. That can never be. And Jesus sounded so harsh when he said this, but Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And, and he says this to Peter, who's his best friend, because he's saying, you are thinking like the world thinks, not like God. There's a plan here that you don't know. But of course, how could Peter know? No one can know the mind of God, still Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you need me to lead. And it might seem strange to us because we're not used to thinking this way. We're used to thinking in the ways of the world. But Jesus says, think like I think. Love like I love. It's understandably hard for us to imagine ourselves acting in the loving and forgiving ways that Jesus does, the breadth and depth of that is almost inaccessible to us. 
which is why I love Paul's laundry list of behaviors. Paul adds this beautiful context to the command to love because we kind of need to be spoon-fed the divine. It's hard. It's big. It's vast. It's kind of like if you're a parent and you ask your child to clean his room. You can't just say to, to a little one who's never had to do chores around the house, clean your room. I mean, you can. You just might not get the results you want. So you add a little bit of context. You say, by cleaning your room, I mean, I want you to pull the covers up on the bed. Put the toys in the toy box. Pick up all the wet towels from the floor. Put your books on the bookshelf. Context. It shows how committed God is to our understanding what it means to love. Remember, God sent Jesus to show us how to do it. Because God knows that when we act in the ways of love, not only is it life-transforming, for us and the people around us, but it has the potential to be world transforming. This is critical stuff. God's gonna make sure we get it. You might even say he has a vested interest in these behaviors. But it's not easy for us to hit it all the time, to hit the mark of these Christian behaviors. So there are a few things we're gonna talk about this morning um, that will help us reorient ourselves, to transform our minds so that we can be more focused on divine things than on worldly things. So first of all, it's not enough to just hope that God will bring about opportunities to change ourselves or to change other people or to change systems that are in place. We have to be on the lookout for these opportunities. So you all remember Moses. You remember the story of Moses encountering the burning bush. This extraordinary event was pivotal in the life of Moses for sure, but all of us for generations to come. It was an epic historical and theological event that propelled Moses into the life of the greatest prophet the world has ever known and secured the liberation of the Israelites from slavery but it might never have been if it weren't for Moses' choice, a singular moment of awareness. Listen to the way that it's written in Exodus chapter 3. Moses looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. Moses had a choice. Continue walking or turn aside. Continue tending his flock of sheep or turn aside and look at this great sight. Now, most of us won't have the opportunity in our lives to encounter a real live burning bush in the desert, but we have encounters with God every single day, so long as we have the curiosity, the patience, the expectancy to turn aside and look for them. 
A dozen years or so ago, uh, there was a young man in Washington, D.C., who walked into a subway station with his violin in tow. He was wearing a t-shirt and jeans, and he sat himself down near the station entrance on a busy but frigid, cold January morning, and he carefully unpacked his instrument. He tossed a few bills in his violin case and then turned the case to face the passers-by, and he began to play. Over a 1,000 people passed by the spot where the man played for nearly 45 minutes that morning, and not one person stopped to listen. A few people dropped in some change as they hurried by, one man turned his head as if to acknowledge that there was some music being played. But had anyone really paused to notice, they might have realized that this was no ordinary street musician, and he was playing no ordinary violin. The musician was renowned violinist Joshua Bell, who many of us have heard here at the Aspen Music Festival. And his violin was a Stradivarius worth millions of dollars. Josh, who is one of the foremost musicians in the world, played some of the most beautifully moving classical pieces of music that day, almost dancing in the subway as he did. One man eventually stopped and listened for a few minutes, but for the better part of an hour, no one stopped to listen or give more than a passing glance, if that, to one of the finest musicians in the modern world. The people in the subway that day had a choice to make, just as we all do every single day. Do I stop to listen? Do I throw in a few bucks? Do I notice the person behind the instrument? Do I notice the beauty? in the music itself? Do I have time to be curious and turn aside from the busyness of my day to hear more? Am I open to God's leading? Living life consciously takes practice, but we do get opportunities every day to practice thinking and acting in ways of the divine, not of the world. These times that we are living in are begging us to live consciously, to notice God in the beauty of music in a hurried world, to notice the eyes behind the face mask, to notice the weary parent homeschooling, to notice the elderly neighbor, to notice the one who is exhausted caregiving to others in their home, to notice and pay attention to the black community that mourns yet another shooting of an unarmed black man, to notice the communities that are rocked first by COVID and now by forest fires and hurricanes and street violence. We are beleaguered, we are sad, we're coping, but some of us are just barely 
hanging on by our fingernails. So the last thing we need is to feel like this list of behaviors that Paul gives us is a to-do list for Christians. It's not. If anything, it's a list for weary souls. You see, we become what we pay attention to. When we are paying attention to all the voices on social media and in the newspaper and on the radio and the nightly news, what we hear is the voice of anxiety, worry, disorientation, anger, rebelliousness, condemnation. And when that much is coming at us on any given day, it's a lot. But in 2020, it feels insurmountable. We are at risk of being overcome by evil. And evil wants us to not recognize God is in control. Evil wants us to not notice beauty, to not notice divine hope. To not notice God, because when we do, we will inevitably want more of that. And we will want to keep God close. And when we keep God close, we begin to overcome evil with the very behaviors that are unmistakably part of the mark of Christian genuine love. Paul's letter to the people in Rome was written to a community that was experiencing deep divisions at the time. And his advice applies not only to the situation in the church then, but to how we should all interact with one another in the present moment in order to stay focused on God's eternal plan, which is, after all, where we place our hope. And so these behaviors are the behaviors of the followers of Jesus. They're the love that Jesus modeled for us. These are the behaviors of love. This is not God's checklist for how your day went. This is not a checklist for how you're going to get into heaven. This is a checklist for us, an internal one. How do I want to show up today in order to draw closer to God, to the divine. These are behaviors to meditate on, to consider, to meet with God, and talk about in those quiet moments of your life. Because in doing so, we're more focused on divine things than on worldly things. And that is how we overcome. So first, to just wrap this up, we need to notice. Notice God. Evelyn Underhill wrote, God is always coming to us in the sacrament of the present moment. Whatever it is you're feeling, whatever it is you're experiencing, be on the lookout for the divine. Next, turn aside. Be willing to change course even momentarily in order to engage with someone or something within you that God is nudging you towards, be curious. Ask yourself, what could this moment mean for me? And why, why might God have placed me here now? And then finally, in everything, we are called to offer love. Love to all 
that is in need, the divisions in the world, the loneliness, the broken systems, the hurting communities, the lonely, the heartbroken, the confused, the grief-stricken, all the broken places in the world. And dare I say, all the broken places in us. We are called to offer God, our neighbor, and ourselves a love that is genuine, not fake. We have enough fake in the world. Genuine love. And here's the good news. God knows that this list is not always easy. Sometimes it is. Sometimes we're all just goodness and light walking into the world and being hopeful and patient and hospitable. And other days, we have this big, dark cloud that hangs over us that we just embody, waiting to curse at someone. But God is with us in both scenarios. God will keep showing up, keep waiting for us to recognize God in the chaos, keep waiting for us to turn aside and say, what might this fresh, new, bizarre thing mean for me? And God will patiently keep providing us with opportunities to show people real, genuine, authentic love. Because that is how we overcome. So I just invite us to a moment of prayer as together we silently reflect on those places in our days, those moments that we've encountered where perhaps we could have turned aside and consider where we might be able to glean more of that and to hear the voice of God calling us and asking us to turn aside, to change heart, and to offer love. So please join me in a moment of prayer.